Welcome to Grace Bible Fellowship Sermon Archive. Our prayer is that you will be abundantly blessed as you listen to this sermon delivered by Pastor Paul Francisco. Join us as we are pointed to the grace found in Jesus Christ alone, as recorded in God's Holy Word. I'm going to start by asking a question. What do you think of when you think of spiritual gifts? Are they gifts that are only for a chosen few, such as pastors, missionaries, evangelists? Are there gifts that are not specifically listed in the Bible, like hospitality, mercy, music? This is true to some extent. We all have spiritual gifts, though, that have been imparted to us through Christ, through the Spirit, because we all have been given the helper, the paraclete, the Spirit. We all have the same Spirit of God. So, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you this morning that I have no more of the Spirit than you do. We have been all equally imparted the gift and helper of the Spirit of God who helps us in our walk with Jesus Christ. There are those who have been specifically called by God and set apart for the roles of teaching and pastoring and missions. Yes, the lists seen in Scripture are there, but they are not all-inclusive, such as the gift of song and hospitality. Although you can see these gifts commanded of us as followers of Christ. But ultimately, the gift is Christ and that his saving grace that brings about the salvation of our hearts and our souls to live with him in eternity. But He imparts a gift by the Spirit, and that is the church. The church is a gift of God, the Father, given to us by the Son, and made visible by the Spirit. We as members of the church all have individual gifts that contribute to the whole. These gifts impart wisdom, teaching, sanctification, love, encouragement, compassion, mercy, and the list goes on. The gift of the church is where we see the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, as we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. The church, I want to propose to you this morning that the church is a gift of grace by God through Christ to display God's manifold wisdom as we heard in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 by making visible the gift of saving grace through the body of believers who demonstrate the spiritual gifts. So let me say that a little bit shorter and a little bit more clear. The church is a gift of God through Christ 
so that we can make visible his saving grace through our spiritual gifts. But I want to give a little disclaimer before we look at this text this morning. For those of you who love deep theology are probably very aware of the controversial aspects of the spiritual gifts. Um, some of you crave a little bit of controversy. Some of you may be asking questions. Oh, what, what is Brother Paul going to be teaching on today? Um, and what about these gifts? Well, we're not going to go into every spiritual gift, nor are we going to address all the false doctrines out there, which we can see in such as the charismatic movement. But we will hopefully see how the church is a gift given to us through Christ for a very specific purpose. Before we do this, let us pray. Lord, we come before your throne of grace because of Christ. And you have revealed to us through your son and your word the truths of who you are and what you have called us to be. And Lord, it is through scripture that we must weigh all means and aspects of our life. It is through your word that has become flesh that we know you. And it's your word this morning that we want to hear. Lord, I pray that our hearts and our souls are hungry and they thirst for the truth of your righteousness and your love. I pray that our distracted minds and our hearts are cleared so that we can eat of the meat of the word. And Lord, I pray this morning, protect your people from me and protect them from the evil one. May I decrease so that Christ would increase. May your word be held up high and illuminated for us. And we pray this all in Christ's name. So let me give you a little context to this passage. Paul has been writing and breaking down the theological implications up until now for the first three chapters of Christ and the church, particularly the Gentiles. And now he's crossing over in chapter four by exhorting us in the practical applications of the church. What we'll see here beginning with verse 11 is these are some specific gifts that have been given to the church and listed out for our edification and for bringing Christ's glory. But what I will specifically spend a little bit of time in is three reasons these gifts are being given to the church. So for those of you who are visual, those of you who like to write, um, I'm gonna give you the roadmap, okay? So you can write these down if, if this is helpful for you. Three reasons the gifts are given to the church. Number one, we see this in verse 12, the beginning of verse 12, for the work of the ministry. For the work of the ministry. Number two, the other part of verse 12, for the building up of the body. And number three, 
The unity of faith and knowledge of the Son in verse 13. So, I'll repeat that one last time. Number one, for the work of the ministry. Number two, building up of the body. And number three, the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son. But let us first look at verse 11 and these gifts that are given to us. And the scripture says, and he gave the, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Before we dig deep into these specific roles and gifts, let's recap what Paul has already told us in the first 10 verses. We heard from our brother John how Paul transitions from theology to practical application and exhortation. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, we see that we are called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling through humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Because we are one body, one spirit, and we have one hope in this calling. Because we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father, one Son, one Spirit. A calling by the triune oneness of our God. Because the triune God is true and functions in unity, we ought to be eager as the church to display the unity of the Spirit, a bond of peace. Then we heard from Pastor Elder Russ that we were given a, a grace in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 10. This grace specifically was talking about the saving grace, which is the gift of Christ. So we have been given grace in salvation through Christ. But then it says there, particularly in verse 7, this grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Kind of particular how it's said there. What was this gift and the measure of it? If we look particularly in verse 8, it says, therefore it says, when he ascended in high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? Very particular passage, and our, our brother uh, did labor well in that. But I would simply just re recap that this grace was given according to measure of Christ's gift. And his gift of saving grace, he came down from his heavenly throne descended to the lower regions of the earth, right? And then he rose above the heavenly places, ascended far above the heavens. The Lord Jesus Christ was buried and he arose from the grave. This is your cue, Chris. Hallelujah, right? Right? He had triumphant victory over sin and death once and for all in the resurrection. So I ask you again, friend, what was Christ's gift? His gift was the church. The church is what he laid down his life for. The church is a gift to us so that we would have one another. 
The church is a gift to us so that we would be eager to maintain the spirit and the bond of peace. And it is through the church that we glorify him, his precious bride. Paul has told us in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 7 that he was made a minister of the gospel. He was a special apostle to the Gentiles. He was a missionary and an evangelist. He was a shepherd, pastor. He was a prophet, teacher, receiving direct revelation from Christ and led by the Spirit. These were his spiritual gifts and part of God's plan to spread the gospel. This gospel had a calling on his life to help establish the first churches amongst the nations and give instruction to the churches to include this personal letter to the church of Ephesus. On one hand, Christ gave the church Paul as a gift. On the other, he was one of many in which God would call to the church to impart these gifts. So let us look at these gifts more closely. Okay, apostles. What is an apostle? So this takes a little bit of homework on your part, and there's no way I'm going to be able to flesh it all out here today. But I'm going to scratch the surface to give you um, some things that will be helpful for you, hopefully. So if we go back to the New Testament after the gospel accounts and also looking at church history of our early church fathers, we see that the apostles were uniquely identified as those who met one or all these criteria, these three criteria. They had to have received direct teaching or revelation from Christ. And we see this clearly in the gospel accounts through the disciples, the, uh, the, uh, actually the 11 disciples, because we had a false disciple, right, Judas? All right, the disciples who learned directly from Jesus. And just a little side note right here. I know, yes, I have been to seminary and, and, and many have been to college and I have often heard of others saying, well, brother, I'm not like you. I don't, I don't know like you and I'm, I'm not you. Well, that's true. You're not me. You're not like me and all these things. But the word of God is true for all of us. And we all learn from the same word, the same truth through the same spirit. And Judas's account is... A perfect example of how you can go to the greatest theological seminary in the world and still miss the truth, still miss the mark, okay? So that's my little sidebar. But these disciples learned directly from Jesus. All right, secondly, a second criteria is direct commission by Christ. The word apostle means actually sent out, like sent out on a mission. We know the apostle Paul was given a direct an encounter with the living Christ, the resurrected Christ, right? And on his road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, he was blinded by Christ speaking to him. And he was blinded until later Ananias praying over him, the scales fell from his eyes. And so he received direct revelation and teaching from Jesus Christ himself. Or another 
aspect of apostleship that we see in criteria here is there were the eyewitnesses, the firsthand encounters with Christ or his disciples, such as Luke, right? So I thought to you, most excellent Theophilus, to take account of these things he writes in his gospel account, right? So Luke, or perhaps the James, the brother of Jesus, right? So these were firsthand encounters and eyewitnesses that established the apostleship given to the early church. Now let's look at this other gift, prophets. Who are the prophets? It was clear in Old Testament times, those who were specifically filled by the Spirit and set apart to deliver a message from God, these were uh, prophets, such as Isaiah, Joel, the lamenting prophet, Jeremiah, right? Even Samuel, prophet, right? These were prophets, people who were spokesmen, called by God, set apart to deliver a message who, in fact, I think in every account, unless I'm mistaken, they were always rejected by God's people, right? He gave them a message that was unpopular in the days, a message of heeding and warning and punishment and judgment to proclaim his holiness, to call people back to repentance and belief. So these were men filled with the Holy Spirit, set apart with a message from God. But as we look to the New Testament, there is no better example than the one man, the second Adam, Jesus, who was the total fulfillment of all prophecy. He even spoke these words, if you look in your gospel accounts, that he is essentially the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and the Psalms. If you look in the account of him, the, the, the transfiguration, which you see there appearing with Jesus as the father spoke and the disciples looked upon was Elijah and Moses. Or maybe I should reverse that. The law and the prophets and Jesus. This is the one who I'm well pleased God the father spoke of. But what about the apostles? You could argue that they were prophets chosen by God, filled with spirit and charged with authority from God to give a teaching, a teaching, a word from God. Absolutely, you can make that argument. Why would Paul say Christ gave a prophets though? Why would he say it in this context? I believe he was referring to both the Old Testament prophets whose prophecies were from God being filled, fulfilled in Christ. And secondly, he was also referring to the New Testament apostles who were charged with the authority of Christ to deliver the message of the gospel. This message of the gospel, this teaching of the gospel, this grace, the gift of Christ that brings about salvation for sinners, rebellious people. But... What about the other New Testament accounts of prophecy that Paul mentions in letters such as uh, Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12? So um, I'm going to briefly have you turn there. Go to Romans chapter 12. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, leave your finger in Ephesians 4. Go to Romans chapter 12. And this is a sermon in itself, so I'm not going to go in great depth here. 
But if you go to Romans chapter 12, verses three through seven, you, you can read these words inspired by the Holy Spirit. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure, here's that word again, the same measure of faith that God has assigned. For as one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service and our serving the one who teaches, and his teaching the one who exhorts, and his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, just reading that now. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. And listen how Paul says it here. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking of the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge. And according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles to another, prophecy to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits to another, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. Okay, so what, what can we gather from these two texts that we just looked at here? I think if you look at them closely, there was a couple things that stuck out. To the measure of Christ, imparted through the Spirit, absolutely, right? And then there's words like varieties and differs right? Meaning there's not just one, right? There's many kinds, all right? Secondly, what I, I think that you can gather from this, and particularly as we look at our text, is these are all references to prophecy in the New Testament are in the context of the church, and it's members working together. Therefore, 
I think it's reasonable to conclude that the gift of prophecy outside of the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles are related as gifts of God for edification of the church. In other words, they are to build up the church, right? Encourage the church. I think there's hints in those particular texts that, like words like utterance and so forth, that we could really get deep into this. And honestly, we don't have the time to to go there this morning. But I would say that prophecy in itself was a word from God about God. In essence, it was a teaching, a teaching, and particularly in the New Testament context, the teaching of the gospel. All right, so, um, and I'm probably going to leave you guys in the cliffhanger there, and I apologize, but uh, we're going to move move on. So, there's much more we could say and dig deeper into with this specific gift, but we have to move on. However, since the canon of Scripture has been completed, there's no longer a need for a continuation of this gift, except for what we see in the next three gifts listed: evangelism, shepherding, and teaching or speaking and parting the gospel truths to others. So I kind of alluded to this, this aspect of teaching the truths of the gospel, this aspect of imparting the wisdom of God through his own word to us, because that's how he has chosen to reveal it to us. And so these other gifts that are listed here, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, they basically function um, the same in that, that they are roles of teaching the gospel or speaking the gospel. These gifts are within the context of the church and its teachings. These three all have similar functions in that they are either proclaiming the gospel, carrying over the body with the gospel, or teaching the gospel. They all take place within or outside of the church context for the building of the church. So I want to take a moment to add, just add the, that these are not only spiritual, the only spiritual gifts given to the church. Nor are they the only gifts we can possibly have. Okay? Secondly, there are many lists of spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament, such as some of the passages we looked at, and there are many other passages, um, but they are not all-inclusive. There are gifts that we are actually called to obey, such as hospitality. Did you know that? We were actually called as a command to be hospitable, but that is also a gift. All right? So, in essence, we all should have to some degree, the gift of hospitality. Because as brothers and sisters in Christ who love Christ and should love others, we should love our brothers and sisters and be hospitable to one another. All right? All right? And what about the, the, the gift of humility? I mean, there's many, many times to include it right here in chapter four where we're called to be humble, to be in humility. And we can specifically look in the letter of Philippians in chapter two, where we see the perfect example of Christ that though he did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, 
but he emptied himself, that he poured out himself, right? He became in the form and the likeness of man to serve, right? And he obeyed to the point of death, death on the cross, okay? You can also have the gift of mercy, right? We're called to be merciful as he is merciful with us. One of the scripture memorizations that I do with my children is Ephesians 4.32 because as children, you know, there is lots, especially when you have five like me, there's lots of fights about that was mine or this one first or she did this or he did that. And, you know, they want to hold it against one another. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it tells us to be tenderhearted, loving, forgiving one another as we have been forgiven in Christ. You can also have many other gifts, such as music, what we were doing here earlier. The, the, I mean, music is actually commanded for us to sing spiritual songs and hymns, and, and we can look at Old Testament David, and we can look at all these things, but music is a gift of the church for building up the body. And there is, believe it or not, a gift, and many don't have this gift, I would say, the gift of singleness. Look at the Apostle Paul. And now I know some of you might have dig deep in history. Maybe he might have been married at one some point. But what we can see in, uh, in Scripture is that for the most part, and as he declares it, he is a single man called and set apart by God for a special, special calling of ministry. And there are some that have been set apart and given the gift of singleness. And so it's not a curse, by the way if you're not married. And then there is this, this gift of encouragement, who I think we have many members in our church here that have that gift of encouragement, like our dear sister Nancy. So the character of spiritual gifts is extremely varied. As Paul says so, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, there are all varieties of service. So many wonder what their gifts are. And let me just give you a word of encouragement here. It, brothers and sisters, it's not uncommon to have gifts from God and not realize that you have them. Um, and if you don't know and you think to myself, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a children's worker. I'm not a gifted in music. How can I contribute to the church? What is my spiritual gift? Go to a brother and sister. Go to your family members that are in the family of God, and ask them. Ask them within the church. Many people within the church see your gifts that you may not see. So ask them, and they will encourage you in the fact that you have gifts that are both profitable and useful, and you're called to use within the context of the church. Oftentimes, we just don't recognize our gifts that others see in us. Let me give a little side note of warning, though. There may, or, there may be some of those within the universal church of Christ or so, some that claim to be Christians that for some reason they can't be a part of the church, which, by the way, is sinful, or even amongst, amongst us here in, in our church, that they might, you might claim you have a spiritual gift, 
Well, because scripture is our source of authority, our plumb line, I would say that beware lest you fall. Make sure that you can weigh this so-called gift that you think you have with scripture. And maybe a couple red flags might be helpful for you. If you think you have a gift and no one else agrees with you or no one else can see that gift, that might not be a gift, all right? If you are not teachable, including myself, if you're not teachable and you think you're an authority in scripture, there's a good chance that you might be missing the mark on what you think is your gift. So that's, that's, that's a word of warning. It's truth, and I can back up what I'm saying in the word of God. And so you should do the same. We have all been given the same spirit, the same understanding in the sense of that we have the spirit of God who illuminates the truth of the word of God and the scriptures to us that we should be looking to the word of God. Okay? So I want to give you a note here. I'm not dodging the hard questions. Um, some of you may be thinking about, well, what about continuationalism and cessationalism and, um, and so forth? And these are different stances and, and, and can be very controversial in some circles. But um, I, first of all, I'll just, I'll just tell you straight out, I'm not a continuationist, all right? All right? And, and I'm, I'm also, maybe some of you might be surprised at this, I'm not a cessationalist. But there are the reasons for the gifts given to the church and our own spiritual gifts. Um, What are these reasons? Um, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. Okay. So first, man, that was a long intro, right, guys? Okay. So this this is where I want to get into meat and potatoes, and it'll move a little bit faster. But first, we've been given these gifts to do the work of the ministry, right? And, and it begins with this, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Did you catch that? Our gifts, contrary to what you might think, are not for ourselves. Our gifts are not for our own personal edification. We are called to do work, hard work, the work of ministry. What is God's mission strategy, his greatest mission strategy? If I was to ask you that question, what what would your answer be? It might sound good to say, oh, the gospel, take the gospel, yeah. And that's true. It may be that we um, display the holiness of God in our lives and by loving one another. Very true. Let me, let me share something with you, brothers and sisters. God's greatest mission strategy is you. It's me. Sinful, rebellious, broken people saved by the grace of God, imperfect, who don't have all the right words, fumble along, Maybe some of us trying to share the gospel, we're, we're, we're scared, of what, we're messing up. Guess what? You can't mess up what God has ordained, first of all, all right? Second of all, God's greatest mission strategy is you. 
He doesn't need us. Let me be very clear. God does not need you. But he has chosen you as a means to be a spokesperson, a piece for the mouth of God with the truth of the gospel. All right? We are called to do the work of the ministry. Think about that for a minute. How do we do the work of the ministry? The way we talk and act and love as the church. The hands and feet of Christ. Sure, pastors, elders, care group leaders, children's ministry leaders, music ministry leaders, lay leaders, we do work, but we are all called upon to serve the church. We were given grace to each one of us, Ephesians chapter four, verse seven, right? And this gift of grace was meant to be the Greek word charismata, service grace. This grace which equips God's people to serve. God's gifts are, un, are distributed to the church members as a means of service. If you have been given the gift of discernment, you can help give direction and insight to helping other members of the church. If you have been given the gift of encouragement, you're to build up others by encouraging them. If you have been given the gift of hospitality, which all of you should have some degree or portion of, you can form strong relationships with others in the church and partake in the fellowship. Last Sunday after service with Nancy Falling, here is a sister with gifts that she uses regularly for the edification and growth of the body. Prayer, encouragement, and service. Faithfully giving of her time towards others. And we are called, each one of us, maybe not with those same gifts specifically, but we are called and we can now do the work of the ministry for caring for her, bringing her meals, providing rides, praying for her like we did this morning. You know, during these times of COVID-19, we have been prevented from gathering together. And still, at this moment, I mean, we're kind of scarce, right? We're not sitting close to each other. We're, we're having to adhere to the social distancing. Some may not be able to come because of health issues, underlying issues. And we understand that, but there's still much work to do. We must be willing to minister to one another. And that takes on all varieties, all differing gifts, according to measure of Christ, so that he would fill his church for his glory and our joy. For the building up of the body of Christ. Second reason, for the building up of the body of Christ. Russ last week spoke about bodybuilding, right? This is a great analogy, Russ, thank you. It, we, we must do the work, right? Okay, you can't just go in the gym one day and think that all of a sudden you're, you're just gonna tone out and be healthy. It takes hard work. It takes continuous hard work. Work hard at building the muscles 
Let's work hard at building the muscles of Christ's body of grace, Bible fellowship. Each member of the body is responsible for doing the work of the ministry. We as pastors, elders, are here to equip you to do the work of the ministry, though. Through how? Through teaching and guarding of the word, but also caring for your souls. It's extremely important that we use scripture as our plumb line for equipping you. Since we have no authority apart from God's word. And it's through the scriptures we want to invest in you. Teaching you how to be evangelists through his word. So that you can proclaim his word to others for the saving grace of Christ. We want to invest in men particularly to raise up as future shepherds, pastors, elders, and teachers of the gospel. If we, if we were to, here, let me just read this for you. Second Timothy, and you can turn there if you want, but second Timothy chapter two, beginning with verse 14 through 16. Am I in the right chapter? Yep. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker, see that word? A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid irreverent, irreverent babble, for it will lead into people into more and more ungodliness. That is the hard task that we have been called to. I want you to think of our order of worship. Did you realize that it's been intentional? It is truly intentional. And as an elder of this church, I want to continue to invest in you through the intentionality of what we're doing in our worship service. We want to invest in men and women reading the scripture, the word of God, not just reading it, but reading it because they have read it. They have understood it to the best they know and, and they thought about it and they've meditated upon it. So when they read and when we call to worship and we read one of the Psalms that we can pray, understanding that word, just like we heard this morning, be angry, but do not sin. So maybe as we hear that, we can pray, Lord, help us to be angry for the unrighteousness of God and holiness that is not in our lives. And, and, but help us not to sin, Lord. We have been praying in such a way during the service in, with intentionality to invest in you, to minister to your souls and your hearts, to provide you encouragement and joy and know that you are cared for. The elders were specifically now putting this piece in the service where we, elders and leaders of the church, will be praying specifically about doctrines of God or specifically about things like praying about mercy, for example, or thank thank. thank thanksgiving or thankfulness, right? And we want to 
help teach and equip you to do the work in the ministry through this time of prayer. The songs we sing, it matters. It matters what we sing. We want rich, deep theological truths of God in our time of worship that we're proclaiming the word back to God, that we are edifying our souls, that we are giving glory to God, that we're not paying lip service. In the songs that we sing, we want to invest in you through the raising up of the generations as 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, to entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is a fourfold generation of rise, raising up the generations. The Apostle Paul, who invested in Timothy, who he's calling to entrust to other faithful men who can teach others also. Raising up the generations. We want to invest in you to teach your children as the Shema in the Deuteronomy talks about, teaching them when they lie down, when they rise up. Let them be frontlets on their eyes, on your doorpost. The truths of the word of God. So they may be equipped for this world, this lost and dying dark world, the truths of God. It's a great and weighty task. And to be truthful, it's an overwhelming task. We will have to give an account. But as we equip you, do the work. For by doing so, you will help build up the body, the gift of the church. We ought to do it in exhortation. We have been given. In verse 1 through 3 in chapter 4, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. How long should we do the work? Until we attain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son. This is our third reason. For the unity of the face and knowledge of the Son. We are to be members of the church that sow the unity of the Spirit. There is nowhere else in the world that we can see completely different walks of life coming together. I remember in our old church in High Point Baptist Church, there was this older gentleman. He actually was... Um, World War II vet, I believe. It was a World War II vet. And he had been flying things, and he was, he was part of the cavalry, and they wore, rode on horses. And, and then uh, uh, there was a man that was looking for work, and he was of Indian descent, like, like Indian, like tribal Indian, not from India. And he had came to his house and asked for work to cut his grass. So, so he gave him work. And over the, the period of time, they had a relationship that started to build together. And eventually, th this guy who was asking for work, given by the white man, he was like, he couldn't understand, why was he so kind to him? Why was he so loving to him? And 
Brother Silva, that's, that was his name. He would never shrink back. This is a brother, especially in his older age, he was not afraid of telling you the truth. If you're in sin, he wouldn't have no problem. If you gave him an opportunity to share the gospel, he would share it with you. And he didn't care if you heard it 20 million times or, or 10 times. It didn't matter. This brother was passionate about God and the word. And they developed this relationship. And eventually, this, this man that he had been ministering to, this Indian, came to church with him. And as we were learning from the word of God and singing praises, God began to work in his heart. And later, months down the road, we got to experience this amazing gift in the church, and we saw him baptized. And here we are, cowboys and Indians coming together in Christ, right? Different races and ethnic groups. I mean, there's a lot going on right now, and I'm not going to address everything right now. That'll be another time. But I will tell you, brothers and sisters, be careful how you speak to one another. You may in your mind think you weren't privileged because you worked hard for your things. Be careful. There are brothers and sisters in the Christ that haven't even been given the privilege or opportunity. They are looked at differently. I can tell you, as a man of different skin color, being in different communities, where I sat down right in the same city I was going to seminary, where a waitress would not even speak to me, but only take the order through my wife. And she was dumbfounded by that, all right? I have a brother-in-law that has been pulled over for no reason at all coming home from work many a times because of his skin color, all right? I'm not, and, and I'm not getting, gonna get into the deep thing, but I'm just be careful. Think about, as Philippians tells us, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. Think of others more than yourself. Think of others more than yourself. Show love, kindness, and compassion. You want to show the world, the lost and dying world, everybody who's rioting and everybody who's fighting over these things in politics, which I care nothing about. You want to show them the truth and love of Christ? Make it intentional. Purpose to be in relationship and show the love of Christ in your relationship with brothers and sisters who are not of your same ethnic race, all right? Make it intentional because that's what we're called to do. And I think, I'll shut up about this, and I think we as the church today in America have failed to properly be the example of Christ in this area. Nowhere else in the world from people of different social backgrounds and statuses, rich, poor, different age groups, can we see us all united under one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. We come together because of Christ. Our faith is in the Son who unites us. We are the visible manifestation of God through the church. And we as the visible church ought to display the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Therefore, the church is a gift. It's a mean of, means of displaying God's grace. 
Think about that for a minute. How do we reveal, display unity the way we talk, act, and love as the church? Based on our knowledge of the Son, Christ, our bridegroom who loves us and has died for us, and we are called to do the work of the ministry by building up the body of Christ until we obtain unity and faith by knowing the Son. And it says here at the end of verse 13, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's that word, measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Did you notice that mention of the word measure? And another text that we read earlier, it's the same word used in verse 7 in relation to Christ's gift. That's the fullness of Christ being displayed in the church. And we ought to be a Christian community that displays Christ. We must be mature. We must grow. We must be sanctified. Brothers, sisters, saints, do you know what the will of God is for your life? Do you want to know that? Read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. The will of God is that we would be holy like he is holy. And that is only possible through the son, Jesus Christ, empowered by the spirit in his word. The gift of the church was given by Christ and it exists for those three reasons and one purpose. We do the work of the ministry, build up the body, attain the unity of the faith in the son. And the church is a gift and it exists for one purpose so that we would glorify Christ. It exists to display the greatness and the majesty and the holiness and the love of Christ. Nothing, nothing in the universe universe exists for its own sake. Everything from the bottom of the oceans to the top of the mountains, from the smallest particle to the biggest star, from the most boring school subject to the most fascinating science, from the ugliest cockroach to the most beautiful human, from the greatest saint to the most wicked genocidal dictator. Everything that exists, exists to make the greatness of Christ more fully known, including you and the person you have the hardest time liking. Saints, we're going to fail in our attempts. I've been exhorting you this morning through the scripture. But just as we sang earlier, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn and look to Christ. I, the least among you, my family can attest to this. I fail. I fail miserably. But by God's grace and faith of Christ, I'm compelled to move forward, compelled to live life on purpose. And I pray that is for you. My prayer for you, beloved, in Christ is Ephesians chapter four, where we have been in our text. And we will hear later on in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. 
if I can find it in my electronic Bible. I am not used to this. Okay. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body jointed and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They all become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Unbeliever. Friend, it first starts with God and salvation through drawing us by his Holy Spirit and faith through Christ. This is a supernatural work of God. This message demands a response. Look to Christ. Repent and believe. And I'd like to close our time with the word of God in Colossians Chapter 9, Colossians chapter, Colossians chapter 1, sorry, beginning in verse 9. Then as the, the worship team comes, let me impart these final words with you. And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred for us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And down to verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Praise the Lord that his word is sufficient for our every need. Join us next time as we continue our study of God's infallible word. We would also love to have you join us in person at Grace Bible Fellowship. We meet together each Sunday from 9 a.m. to 9.50 a.m. for Connection Sunday School and from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. for our worship service. We're located at 1385 Northwestern Drive on the west side of El Paso 
along with our hosting sister church, Mission de Gracia. If you have any questions, you can dial 915-308-1208 or visit our website at www.gracebibleelpaso.org. We would love to see you this Sunday as GBF gathers to proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. Thank you.